Hello, this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast. And I'm super glad that you're here. We have a very, very, very special series, binge-worthy one might say, called Stand Tall in Your Story. And these episodes come to you straight from an event that we held on March 8th of 2022 called Stand Tall in Your Story. It was held at the Vogue Theater in Broad Ripple, Indiana, and it features seven amazing women who have been through an experience that I host every year called Rise and Thrive a seven month experience for these women to really discover themselves again so that they can stand tall in their story. And as they go through this seven month experience, there's a story that bubbles up in them, a very human story that they know that they need to share because someone or many someones probably need to hear it. And so I'm excited to bring these stories to you. As I said, they're they're short and powerful and mighty and binge-worthy. So let's get started, shall we? Next up in our Stand Tall series is Margie Kreutz. And she she's what I call an inspirationalist. When you're in the room with her, you feel inspired and it's just comes naturally to her to do that for you. Um, she's at her best when she's bringing people together in inspiring ways. It could be a fitness class that she teaches. Um, in addition to her role at JP Morgan Chase, it could be parties that she's hosting. In fact, she missed what a part of one of our first gatherings because she was hosting a Halloween party for all of her friends that she does every year. And she was actually a roller derby girl and she did the whole party on roller skates. (laughs) So she's that kind of person that just loves to have fun and bring people together, which will be an interesting juxtaposition to the story she's about to tell you. Here we go. I've decided the only best thing about going after Danica is I'm five people people closer to a glass of wine than my fellow cohorts. So, Danica, Chardonnay, please. Um, (laughs) If you are a parent, I want you to raise your hand. If you have a parent, if you have a child of any age, please raise your hand. Now, that hand just might get a little tired. Um, I want you to think back. No, leave it up, leave it up, leave it up. I want you to think back when that child came into your life, and for most of us, it was probably when we had a newborn. We were sent home from the hospital with no instructions, and if you found that just slightly overwhelming, I want you to lower your hand. If you were just a little bit terrified, I want you to lower your hand. If you had never seen the likes of what a newborn can do to a diaper, lower your hand. (laughs) If you were sleep deprived at all, lower your hand. And finally, if just one time you thought, what the hell did I get myself into? (laughs) Lower your hand. And if anyone's hand is still up and I don't see anything, get up here because I really want to hear your story. (laughs) So this is a story about motherhood. Um, My best friend Courtney says that people come into the world exactly the way they will be in the world. So if a kid comes into the world mad as hell, kicking and screaming, that's probably what you can expect from them their entire life. And having given birth to three daughters myself, I, I find this to be true. But my firstborn, daughter, my firstborn daughter, Ashlyn, did not come into the world that way. She came in on her own time, after her due date, with little fuss and little drama. And that pretty much set her personality. 
And I remember the first time it was just the two of us alone together, me in my hospital bed and her swaddled in her cute pink blanket with her cute pink bow on her head and those big blue eyes looking up at me with all the innocence in the world. And that in one instant is when I became a mother. Oh no, not a mother, a mother effing mama dragon. (laughs) I knew right then and there that there was nothing that would stop me from keeping her safe. No bullet, no train, no villain would hold me back. When I think about it now, it's like my inner Khaleesi was born. And I would blow dragon fire all the hell over the world before I would let anything hurt her. And in that same instant, the enormity of that kind of responsibility, it really hit me hard. And that's when I got terrified. I didn't think I could do it. How could I, and I felt solely responsible for her, be solely responsible for this little tiny baby? I mean, I've never been a mom before. I don't know how to do this. And for just a second, just a second, I wanted to close my eyes. And when I opened them, she would be grown into a confident, thriving, happy young woman. And I would have all the memories without any of the pain or any of the tears that inevitably comes with motherhood. Now, Ashlyn was a really good baby. She slept really well. She was a really good toddler. She was very loving. She was quite creative. She would find things all over the house and put these projects together. And she had quite the imagination. She had make-believe friends that had names that became integral parts of our family. (laughs) And maybe it's because she was such a good baby that it made going back to work all the harder. And I've worked ever since she was a baby. So... I understand the challenges of being a working mom. You feel guilty when you take them to daycare. You feel guilty when they're homesick, but you're at work. Yet you still feel guilty when they're homesick, and you're with them, and you're not at work. (laughs) But I did my best to balance my professional career with motherhood. I, I really tried to make sure my kids had all the things, the music lessons, the dance lessons, the sports, the slumber parties. I threw some pretty spectacular kid birthday parties myself. And even though our life had its ups and downs, I ended up getting a divorce, our family continued to flourish as did my career. In fact, I got remarried and I became a stepmom to Anna and to Joe. And my husband, Jose, became a second dad to my daughters, Ashlyn and Lexi. And together we had Jackie and she's just everybody's baby. Ashlyn continued to be a really model kid. She got good grades, she had friends, she went to sleepovers, she played basketball, she dated boys, and it was about the time that Ashlyn was a freshman that we had built and moved into what I would call our dream home, a big, beautiful home in a big, beautiful neighborhood where every kid got their own bedroom, their own bathroom, that they, and they could decorate however they wanted, and we felt really lucky and we felt really blessed. As Ashlyn grew into her teenage years, we started to see what I would call the typical teenage behavior or teenage angst, the mood swings, the ups and the downs. I was a little concerned when her grades started to drop just a little bit. I was really disappointed when she quit the basketball team. And she even reported like like seeing things. Like she would look over into the corner of the room and she would see something, but then she'd look again and it wasn't there. And I wasn't really worried about that. Again, this was a kid who had make-believe friends as a child. (laughs) So I gave her the validation I thought that she needed, and then I moved on. 
When her dad and stepmom suggested that we take Ashlyn to a therapist to talk about some of these things, I was all for it. I really didn't think it was necessary, but I thought, sure, if it makes Ashlyn feel better, then why not? And I remember the therapist asking for a meeting with the parents after she had her first session with Ashlyn. So I walked into that meeting with the therapist, having never met her before and having no idea what she and my daughter talked about. So little did I know that that meeting would change me as a mom forever. I remember I had barely sat down and this therapist very loudly and very matter-of-factly said, well, you know Ashlyn is depressed, capable of self-harm, hallucinating, suicidal. And, and at first I was very confused. I thought, what, wait, I'm sorry, what did you say? Who are we talking about? And then the weight of those words crushed me. It was like my soul just collapsed. I felt like it must feel when you get hit by a truck. I mean, I couldn't breathe. I had no oxygen. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't be. And then when I caught my breath, I got really mad. I got really mad at this therapist who I'd never met before. How dare she say those things about my daughter? I don't know who you are, lady, and I don't know who you think you're talking about, but that's not my daughter. Ashlyn is a happy, well-adjusted, and most importantly, loved kid. There is no way you could be possibly talking about Ashlyn. And the rest of the day for me is kind of a blur. But the next morning, me, the, I'm the, uh, ever the optimist, and I have a really positive attitude and get things done kind of girl, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I knew exactly what I needed to do. I had to fix this. I'm the mother effing mama dragon. I'm going to fix this. This is what I do. This is my job. I sell complex solutions, and I manage complex relationships. I got this. So I had an action plan, and I put it to work. I bought Ashlyn every self-help book, coloring book, and journal I could find. <laughs> we redecorated her room from the edgy black and white motif she had going on to a serene blue with big, comfy pillows and big, comfy throws. And most importantly, I was going to be the best mom ever. I was going to be available. I was going to be funny. I was going to be relaxed. I was not going to get angry, and I was not going to raise my voice. Well, despite my best intentions to fix things with my daughter Ashlyn, it didn't work. Despite my pretty exemplary sales skills and my respectable relationship management skills, she wasn't buying it. I couldn't fix it. And that's when I hit rock bottom. And I only, it was a self-realization today that rock bottom for me in that instant was a completely broken heart. And if you've ever been in that place before, you know how defeating it can be. How you see no light, no energy. How there's so much pain and shame and guilt. And it's so dark that you just can't see a way out. And that's how I felt. And the guilt for me was probably the worst. I felt guilty because I felt embarrassed by Ashlyn's diagnosis. I didn't want our friends, our family, our neighbors, neighbors, or God forbid the people she babysat for to know that she was struggling with mental illness. Because you see, I saw it as a weakness. Yeah, a weakness in my kid, but mostly in me. 
How could the mom who is trying to be the perfect mom that had given her daughter all the love in the world, all the things in the world, how could this be happening? And so while my best friend's daughters were taking the lead in the school play or captain of the soccer team, or no joke, I'm 100% honest, being crowned homecoming queen, my daughter didn't even know if she wanted to live. And Ashlyn's diagnosis, it didn't just impact her or me, but it impacted our family, my other kids, my husband. My husband, Jose, of 20 years, does not like to see me incapacitated or hurt in any way. He's a wonderful and loving provider, and he's a very nurturing partner, but he prefers me at my solid, positive, upbeat, and strong self. And during this time, we both saw a side of me that we never knew existed. And he was there for me. He was my rock. And I realize it sounds kind of funny when you're in rock bottom to have another rock. <laughs> but I did need that. I needed that anchor. And so he was there for me through the endless tears, my tears, <laughs> my endless meltdowns, which seemed to happen mostly in public. He was my rock through it all. And I know, I know God was working through him to help support me. And for that, I'm so grateful. And so, Jose, I want to publicly thank you for being my rock wherever you are. <laughs> and when I was in my dark place, apparently you're in your dark place because I don't see you. <laughs> but I want to thank you for that. So what does a heartbroken mom who's at rock bottom do? Well, I can only tell you what I did. I started to pray. Prayed a lot. <laughs> Because I knew, I knew that I couldn't bear the weight of Ashlyn's diagnosis and her mental illness. I couldn't bear it on my shoulders alone. And no matter how much I loved her, how hard I loved her, or how badly I wanted to fix it, I knew I couldn't do it. And so it was through that surrender to prayer that God started to help me pick up the pieces. And of course, God had been there all along, just waiting for me to ask. So I surrendered to the prayer, I surrendered to Ashlyn's diagnosis, and I surrendered to the treatment that she so needed. And I leaned in, I leaned into Ashlyn. I started to have some really honest and open conversations with her about her mental illness was impacting me. And I won't say that I felt relief in that, but I felt the tiniest bit of release. And if you know anything about mental illness, the people that suffer from mental illness, it's, it's not that they're just blue and can't see all the wonderful gifts and blessings they have around them. It doesn't work that way. And so we discovered in this journey that one contributing factor that was impacting Ashlyn's mental health was the fact that she had a sleep disorder. So we got help for that. We discovered another contributing factor was that she was having a really hard time in school finishing tests and projects on time. And this was creating a, an immense amount of anxiety for her. So we got help for that. We got her an individual education plan that allowed her to take the time she needed to finish her tests and projects. And we found the right medication for her. Now, I won't say this helped overnight. It didn't. It took a long time. And there were many dark days and there were events so scary still to me, and I don't mean to gloss over them, but I'm just not ready to talk about them. But we did. We started to see improvement. We started to see her health get better. I will tell you, for me, the most horrible part of all of this was the night. Because I knew 
that no matter how much I wanted to be with her every minute, I couldn't, and I couldn't be there to watch over or control the decisions that she made. And so the most horrible thing was kissing her goodnight every night and wondering, is this the last time I get to kiss my daughter goodnight? But together, with time and patience and understanding all the factors, we started to things we started to see things improve. Now, I am so glad that today mental illness is not so taboo as it was when Ashlyn was diagnosed. Yeah. And I thank the celebrities, the athletes, the influencers who have been really raw and honest about their own experiences with mental illness because this is what I know about it. It's like a cancer or any other life-threatening disease. It does not care who you are, how old you are, what you have, where you live, or even if you have a mom that loves you relentlessly so hard that she wants to fix you. But I stand here tonight with gratitude and joy because this story has a happy ending. Today, oh, in the beginning of the story, I said, I wish I could blink my eyes and then open them and it would be over. Yeah, that's where we are now. <laughs> she is a thriving, happy, successful young woman, and she's healthy. Yeah. Today, Ashlyn lives in Chicago with her wonderful husband, Zach. She works for the Chicago Public School System. She is a special education classroom assistant working with kindergartners through fourth graders, and these kids are the most vulnerable of the school's population. Some of her kids are nonverbal. So Ashlyn is their voice, their advocate, and most importantly, their safe space. She's adored by her kids. She's admired by those kids' parents. She's respected by her colleagues, and she's just a joy to anyone who gets the chance to be around her or know her. She works on her mental health. She makes it a priority every day. And she's healthy. So tonight, I leave you with this. The people that suffer from mental illness and the people that love them are not weak. And they do not deserve to feel shame. But whatever it is that's broken your heart, whatever is making you feel the shame or the pain or the guilt, it is only through surrender will you start to find true healing. It is only through surrender can you start to accept your life is less than perfect. And it is only through surrender can we find each other and together embrace and face this wild and messy, beautiful one life we have. Thank you. So can I just say that it's not just professional athletes that are making a difference in the world about sharing their stories. That's what you've just done for us. Thank you. Another round of applause for Margie. Thanks for being here for our binge-worthy series, Stand Tall in Your Story. I have a super-duper fun thing starting this summer. This could be the best summer of your life. In fact, that's just what I'm calling it as the tagline. So starting on June 21st, which is the first day of summer, I'm launching a four month, your summer story series, the best summer of your life. And it is a combination of reflection and connection, which you know, that's what we're about around here. So it's 
all virtual. It's a series of journal prompts and information that comes from my book, Write Your Own Story. You can participate from anywhere in the world. We will give you each week workbooks and reflection questions that you work through the summer. And also each week I'll pop in with a live um, teaching you on the little concept or a little conversation that we'll have. And then each month we'll gather together as a group and you can share how it's going and learn a little bit from each other. I'll give you all the details in a document. So go to wethrive.live, look for the best summer of your life information, and we'd love to have you join us. We start June 21st.